for listening to our podcast, recorded live at Gateway Church Ashford. You can find out more about us on our website, gatewaychurchashford.co.uk. We come to the end of our, our series on um, Who Am I? And this morning we're looking at the subject of reigning in life. Uh, so let's just pray, shall we, as we come to the Word of God. Yeah. God, it's good to be here. It's good to be alive. It's good to know your saving grace. It's good to know your presence. It's good to know we haven't got to work to find you, that you've come and found us. And Lord, you're here this morning. And you want to meet with each one of us. Lord, we just praise you for the love that we've been singing about. A love so high, so wide, so deep. A love that is beyond measure. A love that took into account all of our sin, all of our wretchedness, all of our lostness. Came and loved us as we were, and saved us, and set us upon that sure foundation of Jesus Christ. We thank you so much for Jesus this morning. Thank you that you've revealed your heart in him and Lord Jesus, we thank you that you're able to save all who come to you. There's no one, no sin, too big, too beyond you. God, your mercy and your grace is so great. And Lord, we are truly grateful this morning as the people of God. And thank you for your amazing grace. Help us, Lord, to appreciate it and to live in it, we pray. Help us, Lord, to tell it that others may know. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you'd like to turn in your Bibles to the book of Romans, as Graham was saying last week about the book of Ephesians being one of the most weathered books in his Bible, uh, Romans is in mine. It's, I've got a... Bible at home which is scribbled all over and I'll explain a little bit why a bit later on and uh, I need some space (laughs) okay so who am I I trust as we've gone through the series you've begun to realize a little bit of who you are who God has made you to be who God has saved you to be we've gone through the series we looked at what it was to be a coincidence or created to be made in the image of God, Uh, that particularly for myself, that's impacted me so powerfully, just understanding afresh what it is to be made in the image of God and to look at others around me as those made in his image, whether inside of the church or outside of the church. We were made in the image of God. In Christ, We have been given a new identity. Something happened to that image. In some way it's still there, but in some way it was marred. But in Christ we have been given a new identity. And we have been given a a new way of thinking. A new way of thinking about life. Doing this, this stuff that you and I are caught up in day by day. Doing life in the midst of all of our experiences. Doing life before God and before the world. A new way of thinking. We, we know what it is to, to be safe and secure in Christ. We, we've looked at what it is to be adopted and perfectly loved. And we have looked at what it, what it is to be chosen and blameless. 
Now, I want to begin this morning because we're looking at the subject of reigning in life, and I guess some of you could think, really? Honestly? Can we really reign in life? Well, <laughs> there's an answer to that question, and I won't come to it just yet. But let me raise a few questions that come up for ourselves, even as Christians. Do you ever feel that life is controlling or reigning over you? Do you ever feel that temptation and sin are always biting at your heels and getting the better of you? Do you ever wish that you could get control of it? If only you could come to that place of victory and know that today was not going to be another day of defeat, but a day of victory. Do you ever find yourself constantly worrying, fearful, defeated? Let me just share with you something of my own personal experience. I remember encountering Christ and and what a powerful encounter that was. I'd been brought up in a Christian background. I, I knew all the stuff, as it were, intellectually, but I had not encountered Christ personally. And one day I encountered him and I knew what it was to be saved. I knew what it was to be forgiven. I knew what it was to be made clean. I, I knew what it was to have a, a wonderful, wonderful new life. And if you'd known me at that time, my theme song was number 644 in Redemption Hymnal, which is what a wonderful change in my life has been wrought since Jesus came into my heart. I knew the power of Jesus coming into my heart. I knew the power of his salvation. And I, I, I don't know how long that kind of went on for, that kind of sense of knowing his, his saving grace, his mercy and his grace and his, his power day in and day out, week in, week out, month in and month out. And I used to get all, get at, love to get at the, at the piano, open the hymn book up and, and just bang out that song and sing it as praise to God and also about what he's done for me. It was personal encouragement as well. Somewhere along the line, I hit the wall. I knew what it was to have peace and joy and victory, but somewhere along the line, I, I hit the wall. Somewhere along the line, I, I run aground. Somewhere along the line, I kind of lost it. The peace seemed to be gone. The, the joy wasn't there anymore. And, and I just really began to wonder what this gospel was all about. I was more depressed than joyful. And the Christian life was just becoming one big hard slog. Trying to do this stuff trying to get it right, and the harder I tried, the worse it seemed to be. It, and I, I used to think through these things. I used to say, I, I used to say surely, if I'm a new creation and Jesus has saved me, I, I shouldn't be thinking like this. I shouldn't be feeling like this. And, and then I used to think to myself, have I really been born again? Did, did I really become a Christian? Was it real? Was it just a figment of my imagination? Did I say the prayer right? Should I say it again? And all of that kind of thing. Anybody been there? Yeah, a few of you have. And, of course, the devil likes to get in on the back of it as well, doesn't he? And he comes along and says, oh, yeah, I'm not sure you really are, you know? And, and, and this stuff doesn't really work. And I remember getting so twisted and tied up with things. I, 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 I like analysing stuff, and I started looking and thinking, maybe, maybe the gospel doesn't have all the answers for me. Maybe I need to look for some answers elsewhere, and I started reading psychology. And I could have 
have plumbed in this way, that way, and the other in all sorts of, of the realms of psychology. Fascinating. But the more I, I looked at that, the more I tried to find some answers that maybe Jesus can save me to get me to heaven, but he can't really deal with the things of this life, and I, I need some other helps here. The more I looked at that, the more I thought, there's no help here. I can't find an answer. And I began to think to myself, have I, have I missed something? My experience of the Christian life was Romans chapter 7 and the latter part of it. The good that I would, I do not. And the bad I, uh, the, that I don't want to do, that I find myself doing. What a wretched man I am. I'm impossible. I'm helpless. I'm hopeless. Anybody been there? Yeah. It's a wretched place. Now, there are some people who say to you that that is the normal Christian life. That Romans 7 is the normal Christian experience. I've got books on my shelves at home that will say that. And I want to say to you, it's not. Not. It's not. I want you to hear that because I needed to hear that. If I am filled with the Spirit, I was baptized in the Spirit. I had a mighty baptism in the Spirit. If I am filled with the Spirit, why am I still being tossed in this way, that way, and the other? Am I, why am I still being so tempted and tried? Why am I, I still feeling like this? Defeat more than victory. So that at the end of Romans chapter 7, it's, oh, what a wretched man I am. And that was my day-by-day experience. And I used to go to bed hoping I'd wake up tomorrow feeling better and it would be a better day. And then I'd hit the next day and it would be the same thing. And I'd go to bed and I'd say, well, maybe tomorrow will be a better day. And then I began to think to myself, there's something I'm missing here. There's something I'm missing. And I went back and I began to read the gospel all over again. And particularly as Paul unpacks it in the book of Romans. I haven't got time to go into all that I went into there, but I began to unpack it. And I began to see that Romans 7 was not the normal Christian life. That actually Romans chapter 8, which is what I aspire to, and the vast majority of Christians aspire to, but feel they never get there. Romans chapter 8 was the normal Christian life. Amen? Amen. Oh, can I have a better one than that? Romans chapter 8 is the normal Christian life. Amen. Amen. Yes. Okay. But many of us live in Romans 7. And it becomes a convenient pillow on which to lay our, our, our weak and weary heads. Oh, well, if Paul felt like this, if Paul struggled with it, the good that he wanted to do, he didn't do, and the bad, he didn't want to do that, he did, and what a wretched man he was. If that was the great apostle Paul, well, I can never aspire to him, so I'm going to lay my head on the pillow of Romans 7 and just comfort myself in my failure. That's what I did, but it's a miserable comfort. It's a miserable comfort. The gospel offers to us far, far more than that. Doesn't it? Amen? Amen. Amen. Romans chapter 8, you know, suddenly you move from chapter 7. Oh, what a wretched man that I am. Who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God for Jesus Christ. And I reached the point where I finally began to say, thanks be to God for Jesus Christ. Because he is the answer to my personal situation. He is the answer to your situation. We used to sing a song years ago called Christ is the answer to my every need. And I used to think, really? And the reality is he is. We need Jesus more than we think. Even as Christians, we need Jesus more than we think. Because Jesus is the Alpha and the Omega 
the beginning and the end of our salvation and every bit in between. So Romans chapter 8, how does it begin? There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Wow, we're going to touch on that a little bit later on. And then we, we read about there's two domains. There's a domain of the flesh and the domain of the spirit. If you've got an NIV or you use an NLT, bad translation. Or at least in, in certain points here it is. It uses sinful nature for flesh. And so we end up with this idea of when we become Christians, we have two natures. And we have this divided loyalty within us. And we have this internal conflict. That's not what the Bible tells us. It tells us that in Christ we are a new creation. More on that in just a moment. But in Romans chapter 8, the interesting thing is you, you read about this victorious life, this life that is in Christ, that is in the power of the Holy Spirit. But have you noticed it's in a messy world? Have you noticed that? It is in a messy world. So there are seeming paradoxes. For example, we have strength in the midst of weakness. Some of you need to hear that this morning. It's not about you feeling like Mr. Universe. God can give you strength in the midst of your weakness. This is the upside-down kingdom that is the right way up. The world says you should feel strong. The Bible says that in the midst of weakness, you can have strength. But it's not your strength. It's his strength. And some of you need to hear that this morning because you've been trying to get a strength. You've been trying to muster up something yourself and it's not what God wants to give you. He wants to give you his strength in the midst of your weakness. So there are paradoxes. Here we are living this, this new life, this new kingdom stuff and, and yet at the end of the chapter, the suffering. Where do you put that? How do you explain all that? How do you explain what's happening in some of your lives? How do you explain what's happening out to Christians out in Iraq? The suffering in the midst of all of this kingdom coming. It's messy. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a perfectionist by nature. And I want everything to map out nice and cleanly. And this has been a big struggle for me. Accepting the messiness of life. Accepting the messiness of kingdom life. And the devil can come to you and suggest that it should all be nice and perfect and all cozy and hunky-dory and all the rest of it. No. Your life might be messy at this moment in time. It doesn't mean that God's not there. Not at all. God can be with you right in the messiness of your life. Stop looking to try and iron out all the wrinkles. Put the iron to your life. Accept the fact there's there's paradoxes. And when you begin to accept that, you begin to actually release something of God's power to work in you in a new way. Because suddenly God can work in you as you are and through you in all the various situations which you encounter. So, and just a word on that, because it talks about triumph in trials. Have you noticed that? At the end of the chapter, it says that they, they overcame they were more than conquerors in all these things. In other words, it was in them that they were conquerors. It wasn't getting out of them that made them conquerors. It was in them that they were conquerors. So, Romans chapter 8 is where we should be living. But it is an acknowledgement 
of the messiness of life in this overlap of the kingdoms, of the now and the not yet. It does promise us his presence and his spirit to help us in our weakness. So, outside of those things, to to reign in life seems far-fetched. It seems beyond the, the realm, perhaps, of daily possibility. Can I really reign day by day in life? First thing that I want to say is this, that it is God's will for all of us to reign in life. Turn to the person next to you and say to them, it's God's will for you to reign in life. Now say it with a bit more conviction. Turn again and say to them with more conviction. It is God's will for you and me to reign in life. You need to hear that and you need to hold on to that because it's God's will for each one of us to reign in life. God made us in his image. We looked at that right at the very beginning, in his likeness. He made us unique from the rest of creation. He made us to represent him in the earth. He gave us dominion that we should live as co-regents with him over the affairs of the earth. God originally made humanity to reign. God blessed them and said, multiply, take dominion. They were to live in direct communion with the living God. They were to participate in God's life, a a life that was different from the rest of creation. We know the story that sin entered and corrupted the whole thing, broke down the relationship between man and God, man and woman, has created trouble ever since. But God still had his purpose. God wanted to restore humanity to that relationship that he originally had with them right at the beginning. He wanted to restore them. He wanted to lift them from the the depths and set them up once again to reign as vice-regents in the earth to exercise dominion. And so if you've got your Bible open before you and you go to Romans chapter 8, you have this amazing verse. Romans chapter 8, and I think it should come up on the screen here. Romans chapter 8. Let's, let's read this together, shall we? For if, because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and of the free gift of righteousness, reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. So, through one man's trespass, through Adam, death reigned through that one man upon us all. But then it says here, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace, and notice that it's an abundance, those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift, notice the free gift, the free gift of righteousness, reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. That is the gospel promise. 
That is redemption and restoration and renewal. And we need to hear that. So God says to us in Jesus, it is my will that you reign in life through Jesus Christ. And we're going to unpack that one a little bit further in just a minute. Weymouth translates it like this. He says, For if by the trespasses of one man death reigned as king through one, much more shall they who receive the abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign as kings in the realms of life. I like that. Amen? It is not life ruling and reigning over us. It is us ruling and reigning over life. Secondly, the power to do it isn't dependent upon us. It's not about our status. It's not about our education. It's not about finance. It's not about anything that you and I can muster up. It's simply about Jesus. In fact, when we try to do it by things where we muster up, we are in trouble. And we'll come to that in just a minute. But God wants us, and I want us to hear this this morning, God wants you to reign as a husband. First of all, God wants you to reign as an individual. God wants you to reign as a husband. God wants you to reign as a wife. God wants you to reign as an employer. God wants you to reign as an employee. Whatever realm of life you find yourself in, God wants you to reign. And in fact, in Revelation, it talks about the fact that we've been made kings and priests unto God. So who are kings? But those who reign and those who rule. And this is not just about when we get to heaven. It is about the here and now. It is about reigning over everything that would seek to pull us down, over temptation and sin, over worry and anxiety, over fear and insecurity and uncertainty, over our mind and emotions, over everything that would pull us down, the temptations that are of the flesh and the temptations that are of our disposition that are unique to us, our particular personalities or natures. The power to do it doesn't reside here. Hallelujah. We're all included. Next slide, please. And it's not simply about trying harder. Notice the guy there. He's trying really hard against the door that says pull. (laughs) And that's really what can happen if we try hard in the Christian life. We're actually working against the purpose of God. And the way that the Spirit works in our lives, the harder we try, actually we find the more that we fail. So it's not about trying harder, but it's simply about trusting more. Trusting Jesus. Believing Him and trusting in Him. Romans is a fascinating book because it starts and and ends with faith. It talks about the obedience of faith. And it ends with the obedience of faith. And it talks about this, this, this righteousness that comes from God being from faith to faith, that this is the gospel. It's funny how we can, we can get saved by faith and then think we've got somehow now keep up our end and we've got to do the stuff and we've, we've got to make sure we keep it up and if we keep it up, we'll get to glory. But if we don't, well, there's a question mark there. It's about trusting Jesus. He is the author and the finisher of our faith. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Let's say that together. 
Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Once again, Jesus plus nothing equals everything. That, brothers and sisters, is the gospel. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. It's not by trying harder. It's actually about trusting. Andrew Murray, a great uh, guy from ages by, said this. He, he speaks of a, I've often been asked by young Christians, why is it that I fail? I solemnly vow with my whole heart and desire to serve God. Why have I failed? To such I always give the answer, my dear friend, you're trying to do in your own strength what Christ alone can do in you. And when they tell me, I'm sure I knew Christ alone could do it, I wasn't trusting in myself. My answer has always been this. You were trusting in yourself or you could not have failed. If you had trusted Christ, he cannot fail. Yeah. Maybe some of you need to hear that this morning. What you're doing is you're trying to live this Christian life in your own strength. You're trusting yourself and and that's why there's failure and disappointment. But if you trust Jesus, he cannot fail. Hallelujah. He never fails. Then fourth, that doesn't simply mean we just let go and, and let God. If there's something that the enemy wants uh, us to get into, it's passivity and inability. And that's where I got to. And I kind of got things wrong. I got things around the wrong way. And okay, if it's God, it's all about, yeah, okay, just letting go and letting God. And I got into a passive state in my Christian experience where if it was going to happen, it was just, I just sit back and let God do it. And the enemy loves to get us there. Because if he can get us there, he's robbed us of another part of truth, of the word of God. A passive place is a dangerous place to be in our minds, in our hearts, in our engagement with life. Because actually the gospel, listen to me, empowers us. It empowers us to think. So we are renewed in our thinking. It empowers us in our emotions. It empowers us in our energies in going out into this world. It's not about simply letting go and letting God. Now there is a kind of place for that sometimes. God says, I want you to let go. That's when we need to listen to the voice of the Spirit. But to make a big doctrine out of this and say we just simply let go and let God is not the way to go. It's interesting, when I did a search on the internet for this, the implication given was if you just simply let go and let God, you'll have a lovely, peaceful, serene, happy life. If you get into passivity, you won't. Because the devil will kick you from pillar to post. The enemy likes to get us there. But in the gospel, God comes not only to save us, he, he comes in and alongside us to equip us and enable us. It won't be a walk in the park, and the enemy won't like it, but we'll have God's presence. And that's wonderful, and that's powerful. And so when we look at this, this gospel of grace, it is a grace that enables us to be intentional about life. In knowing God... Understanding his word and working out it out day by day. That's what reigning is all about. 
so we can take hold of sin and we can deal with it. We can take hold of our emotions and deal with that. So that's just a quick overview. Now we're going to drill down a little bit and fill in some of these things just a little bit more. So what's essential to this Christian life that we're called to live, this, this grace-filled life, this, this life of victory, this life whereby we reign in life day by day, indeed hour by hour? Number one, truth must be known. Truth must be known and used. You will never get anywhere unless you get into the Word of God. That is the place where our minds are renewed and our hearts are renewed. The psalmist said numerous times, quicken me in the old version, quicken me according to your word. This word is a quickening word. It is a life-giving word. God said of his people, my people die for lack of knowledge. The enemy will keep you from the word. He will make it possible for you to read the newspaper from front to back or back to front if you go to the sport first and leave the politics to later. It's funny how we can find time to read a newspaper, but oh, we can find it so difficult to read the word of God. And yet, this is the liberating word. This is the word that sets us free. And as Christians, we need to be drinking of the gospel. Yeah? Because it is in the gospel that we will find truth that sets us free and empowers us to reign in life. It is the gospel that tells us that there is now no condemnation. Truth must be believed and acted upon. And that's why Romans talks about this gospel of grace being the outworking of the obedience of faith. They kind of go together. It's not that we're trying to earn something, but faith is an active trust in God, in what he's said. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Sometimes I have to go to my Bible and read it to the devil. Yeah? Sometimes you have to go and say, have you seen this? When he's coming with those accusations. And you read those scriptures to yourself and you read them out. You confess them, you proclaim them. By grace I am saved through faith. And this not of ourselves, it is the gift of God. It's Jesus, not me. It's his blood, not mine. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Wonderful, wonderful truths. We've been given the Holy Spirit. His Spirit resides within us. The truth says that we we have the Spirit. That doesn't mean we always feel like it. But then that's a bit like the the guy who's a weightlifter. You know, he doesn't walk around every day of his life feeling like Mr. Universe. It's only as he engages with the weights that he feels what's in his muscles. Other than that, he feels like a pretty ordinary person. Oh, yeah, he might look pretty impressive to look at. 
you know, got a few bits here and there, um, something I haven't got. But, you know, it's not about feeling it. It's about knowing that he is the one who dwells within. And so the truth tells us that not only we've been saved by grace, but God has come to reside in us by his Holy Spirit. And a little bit more on that in a moment. So we've been given the power of the Holy Spirit. It tells us we've been given power to say no to sin. Can we just back up a minute? We've been given power to say no to sin. You need to hear that. You see, what has happened is we have died to sin. Sin hasn't died. And that's what screwed me up because I used to think, why am I still being tempted? Why do I still fail? You see, we have died in our relationship to sin. That's the big thing. We've died in our relationship to it. And so now we're empowered to say no to sin. And yes, to God, to live in victory. So truth, we need to be digging into the truth of God's word. And that's where I began to find something that inspired and ministered hope to my soul. As I I went back into the book of Romans and I I read this theological outworking of the gospel, as I began to, to draw from this well of salvation, God began to speak to me and I began to feel what it was to be set free again. And it's like being born again all over again. Wonderful. All over again. Secondly, grace must be received. And you, you see that in the text that we've got in front of us. For if by, because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one, one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace. Those who receive the abundance of grace. You see, Grace not only must be read about, sung about, it needs to be received and appropriated day by day. That's why we need the truth of God's word and that's why we need a daily application of it. Because there are, come, there are times of life when sometimes we don't always feel it. And remember, we've got an enemy, the enemy of our souls who will seek to rob us of our, our crown, as it were, who will seek to, to rob us of the power to reign, who will seek to bring us into defeat. One of the reasons we have the Scriptures is these were the realities of the early saints, not just our realities. They were re- the realities of all God's people. Grace must be received. There must be a constant reception and standing in grace. Romans 6 verse 14 says, Sin shall not have dominion or reign over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. Brothers and sisters, I want to say to you, don't let the enemy wrongfoot you. Grace. But I failed. Grace. I'm struggling. Grace. I don't know how it's going to work out. Grace. We must be daily immersing ourselves in and receiving this wonderful grace of God. And then number three, the gift of righteousness must be received and appropriated. So you read there. I find it strange that it says it has to use the word free gift. After all, isn't a gift free? 
The reality is it's because we've got an enemy who likes to say, actually, you know, you've got to do your little bit now. You've got to try a little bit harder. And if you, get, if you really sort of whack up your prayer life today, God will give you a little bit more. If you're really up on your Bible readings today, God will give you a little bit more. And it's like it has to use this, this double and use the, word, the words free, gift. It's a free, all gifts are free. They should be anyway. But it's like an emphasis is there. The free gift of righteousness. When you go out in the morning, appropriate the free gift of righteousness. When the enemy comes to you through the day, appropriate the free gift of righteousness. What does that mean in reality? It means I'm appropriating the fact that as far as God is concerned, I am completely righteous in Jesus. (laughs) That blows my mind. I know too much about me. You know too much about yourself, and the devil knows an awful lot about you as well. But God is greater than all. Hallelujah. And he has given to us in Jesus the free gift of righteousness. Hallelujah. We used to sing a hymn years ago, written by Count Zinzendorf and translated by John Wesley. Jesus, your blood and righteousness your beauty are my glorious dress in midst, flame, in midst flaming worlds in these arrayed. With joy shall I lift up my head. Bold shall I stand in that great day. For who ought to my charge shall lay? Fully absolved from these I am, from sin and fear and guilt and shame. That's the gospel. Hallelujah. Yeah. So we look away from ourselves unto Jesus. And we see him as our righteousness and we see ourselves in him and fully clothed in him. Wonderful, isn't it? Beautiful, glorious truth. I saw someone pose a question on the internet. Do we only have righteousness as a gift until our next sin? What do you think the answer is to that? Can I hear you? Do you think we have the gift of righteousness only until our next sin? Good! That is the right answer. (laughs) That is the right answer. Don't let the enemy fool you. The reason for the no condemnation statement in chapter 8 is because of everything that's gone before it. That Jesus took all of our sin, every little bit of it, all its wretchedness, and he took took it to the cross and he paid the price for it all. Our sin, as Paul says, was imputed to him. It was charged to his account. Every bit. He took it. He was made sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Wow. It was charged to his account and then he goes on to say that now through faith... His righteousness is credited to us. Don't you think that's good? Yeah? The righteousness of Christ, the Holy Son of God, is credited to us. And that's how God sees us now in Jesus Christ. Through this wonderful free gift of righteousness. Wow. Number four, we live in a new realm. That's what chapter eight is all about. We're people of the Spirit. We're not doing life on our own in the flesh anymore. 
with people of the Spirit. He has come to dwell within us. We have His presence. And He wants to lead us day by day into victory. Amen? Those temptations that you're facing. Those times when you're up late and you're in front of a computer. The temptation to look at what you shouldn't be looking at. Temptations you might face in the workplace. Temptations in all sorts of different scenarios. He is present. To enable you to appropriate this gospel so that you might live in victory. Amen? He is present in your weakness. And that's one of the things I I learned through Romans 7, that I had to come to a place of weakness. And I don't think I'd really come to that when I was originally saved. It didn't mean I wasn't saved, but I, I don't think I saw how fallen I was and how weak I was. And so there is a sense in which it can apply to the Christian. We've reached that point of hitting rock bottom. God, I can't do this. It's beyond me. Defeats me every day. Every day I feel like I'm going down into death even more and more and more. And then we reach that place where we cry, God, this is wretched, I'm wretched. Thanks be to God for Jesus Christ because he's your answer and he is my answer. Hallelujah. Isn't that right? So we're called to live in this new realm of the Spirit. And I'd love to say a little bit more about that, but I I can't spend any time there. But just to say again, we do not have a dual nature. I got into thinking I had a sinful nature and a new new nature. That sets you up to be a spiritual schizophrenic. Does your head in. Drains the energy from your heart. God has made us new people in Christ. We are new creations. He has given us his spirit. You either, as a non-Christian, live in the realm of the flesh, or as a Christian, you're in the realm of the spirit. There's no in-between realm. It's one or the other. It might be that you're here this morning, you're not a Christian, and you're kind of like wondering what all of this is about, or even sitting there thinking, my, I'd like to know something of this kind of life. And Jesus is here for you. He wants you to know he can forgive you all of your sin. He can cleanse you. He can give you a brand new life. You can know that you are right with God and that he is your father. You can know his spirit dwelling in your heart, enabling you to live a brand new life, to walk in newness of life, as Paul says. Brothers and sisters, this gospel's staggering. It's the most liberating word on the whole of planet Earth. Let's stand, and as we stand, a few statements will come up on the slide behind me. Now I'd like us to declare these statements, to say them out with conviction. 
They cover some of the things that we've done over the last six or seven weeks. In the Bible, Paul talks about the need to confess our faith. That means to speak it out, to affirm it. It might be that the devil is just right now whispering on, in your ear, even as you look at that and saying, you can't say that. Close your ear to him. Shut him off and declare what God says about you. And these are statements we can ex- extract from the word of God. So let's declare this together, shall we? I am made in the image of God. Turn to the person next to you and say, did you know you're made in the image of God? So let's say it again. I am made in the image of God. I am loved by God. Altogether, I am justified, forgiven, totally, forever. Hallelujah. Yes. I am no longer condemned. Ever. And that's what that means there in that verse. It means in Romans 8.1, there is therefore now no condemnation, neither can there ever be any more any condemnation for those who are in Jesus. You can't get more than that, brothers and sisters. The word has been declared in the gospel. I am no longer condemned forever. Hallelujah. Ever. Carry on. I am God's son, adopted and sealed with his spirit. His alone, forever. I am dead to sin and alive to God. I have power over sin. His spirit lives within and enables me. I am king and I shall reign. I am more than a conqueror through Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. You might want to write those down. We'll put them up on the city for you if you want to have them to hand. But they're good statements to make on a regular basis. Let's pray together, shall we? God, we, we thank you for your staggering grace. God, it's bigger than any of us could possibly imagine. Lord, you, you knew our sin. You knew our rebellion. You knew the utter depths of it, the depravity of it. And yet you loved us. Lord, you loved us. Even when we made a mess of your image, Lord, you loved us and you, you came and took something of this broken image on in Jesus and you, you lived here and you, you, you redeemed it, Lord. You, you, you died for us. You, you took all our sin, all that was wrong about us and you took it to that cross and you, you paid the price for our sin and you went right down into death and you beat it all, Satan, sin, death and hell and then you rose again. Hallelujah. And Lord, you've ascended up into heaven where you are now sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, a man in the glory, our saviour and our representative and our mediator. Oh, how we bless you, Jesus. We thank you for this gospel that works, that saves people in the midst of a a horrible, messy, depraved world. We thank you for this gospel that works in Christian lives, in the messiness of life. Lord, it's disorderliness. It's kind of seeming chaos at times, Lord, where we, we don't know quite which way we're turning. We thank you that the gospel works for us wherever we are at this moment in time. It works in our weakness. Oh, we thank you, Lord. It works where we're suffering. Oh, we praise you, Lord, that you call us to reign. 
and you empower us to reign. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your spirit. Oh, God, we thank you for Jesus. Help us each to go out and take hold of this word of yours and live it to your glory and praise. In Jesus' name, amen.